Hi, my name is Joe Alterman. I'm the executive director of the Atlanta-based Naranana Concert and Culture Series, and I'm thrilled to share today's conversation with you all. Today, I speak with the fascinating and hilarious comedian Judy Gold. Judy has had stand-up specials on HBO, Comedy Central. She's the author of Yes, I Can Say That. When they come for the comedians, we're all in trouble. A critically acclaimed book about free speech and cancel culture, which debuted as the number one comedy release on Amazon and was featured in the New York Times Book Review. Judy is the host of the hit podcast, Kill Me Now with Judy Gold. She plays Chaya on FX's Better Things. She appears on Showtime's new series, First Lady as Elizabeth Reed, and on season three of City on a Hill. She is one of the main subjects of the Hulu documentary, Hysterical. She's appeared on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert and The Tonight Show. I could go on and on, but overall, Judy Gold is one of the funniest comedians of all time, and it's a joy to sit down and chat with her today, both about her comedy background and her lesser known musical background. Let's get into it. You know, as a child, what did it mean to know, like, as a child that you were Jewish? Was it a good thing or a bad thing? Or Well, I grew up in a Jewish-Italian neighborhood. There mm. were, you know, I went to public school. I went to Hebrew school. Um, my mother loved being Jewish so much. She uh, was, li- grew up in Manhattan, and um, every day after school, she would sit in the boys' Hebrew school class. Girls didn't go to Hebrew school. And she would sit there voluntarily. And then I guess when the boys became bar mitzvah, uh, bar mitzvahs, they they did a little special thing for her on Shavuos because her name was Ruth. And, but she loved, it was the center of our home, pretty much. We went to synagogue, we had Shabbat dinner every Friday night. We went to synagogue every week. You know, she built a sukkah. I mean, it was our, outside um, little awning over our our barbecue area, but she would, you know, decorate it. We were kosher. Mm. It was, um, it was definitely the center of our life. And I think the center of my parents' um, social lives too. They were very, um, my father was the treasurer of the synagogue, my mother, in the sisterhood, my father in the um, men's club and my mm. mother was part of Hadassah, but, and even their friends growing up, all Jewish. Um, and I, I was also taught that everyone hates us. So it was this definitely a sense of pride, a, a, a sense of knowing that we're different, we're not like everyone else um, and that everyone hates us. And they were right. So, you know, I I was always like, oh, you're crazy. You know, you're overreacting. My father was born in 1916. So he was in um, in England during uh, World War Two. He never spoke about it at all. Um, But I recently spoke to my sister who said he definitely he had nightmares and but he didn't talk about uh, he was there during Blitzkrieg. And then you know, my mother was here in New York and grew up, you know, with a bunch, with a lot of anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Um, even though you're on the Upper West Side, you know, there were certain areas of Manhattan you didn't go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, her father experienced anti-Semitism in, in his job. My aunt 
I mean, if we, if I really talked about it, you know, my aunt is still alive. My mother's sister talked about how um, things she wasn't chosen for. Um, yeah, so it was a, it was a, oh, and best of all, every time we watched television or went anywhere, it was like literally sitting there, Jew, someone would come on screen, non-Jew, married a Jew, anti-Semitic, converted, you know, every person. Mm-hmm. And I do that. I still do that. <laughs> but I would come when I was living in New York, my dad would come visit and he was he's he he loves being Jewish, but he does, you know, right. we'd, we'd pass an Orthodox guy on the Williamsburg Bridge and my dad was trying to be nice. And he'd always say shalom right. to everyone. And I, right. <laughs> it was always dad, dad, come on. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it's embarrassing. But, yeah. you know, I really appreciate it now. You know, for me, I grew up going to a Jewish school and, you know, we said the prayers. I didn't really understand them too much. And, you know, the high holidays was kind of the time when we get a new suit. And to me, honestly, high holidays, my whole childhood, it was like a fashion show kind of thing. That's how I I thought it was, you know, and uh, uh, (laughs) yeah. And then I go to synagogue and come home and put on my jazz records. And that's where I feel like I had my my real bar mitzvah later that afternoon, if that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, it's, I feel like my parents were older um, and they weren't into the fashion part of it. Like, Mm. and even for our, my siblings and myself, our bar and bat mitzvahs, uh, there was no big party. We Mm. had dinner before for mine, which was like the biggest out of all my sister. They had dessert afterwards. My brother, they had a brunch, you know, their values were different. Um, but I also agree. I would go to synagogue and Hebrew school and it was like a chore. And uh, my, I did love my bat mitzvah because it was a performance. And I and I really did, you know, I kept Passover. I, I kept all the holidays. I fasted, I still do. But the meaning it was just something we did. It's just, right. this is what you do. You're Jewish, but as mm-hmm. you get older, you realize the connection to these, you know, to your ancestors and the fact that, you know, people died just for for absolutely no reason. You know, it. You know, I kept a kosher home for a very long time mm. with my kids. Mm. Now I cheat all the time, but, um, <laughs> you know. And people were like, what is, oh, you're crazy. And and I, it made me, it was, even though we're not going to services every morning and doing all this stuff, it's a reminder. Mm. We're a little different. This is how we eat. This is, you know, but it's so funny how, how your relationship with Judaism changes as you get older. Because I, I feel like, you know, my father died when I was 27 and we do death amazingly well you know um and the just the grieving process and that you know i look at my friends who who have you know family members die and i'm like well what's going on i no nothing we might do a memorial in a couple you know a couple Mm. of weeks and this idea that you know exactly what is expected of you and where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do and, and the time that you're given. And it's, 
there's so much of it that makes sense. And then, so when my father died, I was doing stand up and I would go on the road and I really wanted to say Mourner's Cottage. And so I'd go to these places and I'd bring a skirt and I would find a synagogue, a local synagogue and go in on Saturday morning and say Kaddish. And as I traveled the country and I sat in those synagogues, I thought, you know, these people have no idea who I am that I'm, mm. you know, going to be on stage telling jokes in a few hours, you know, <laughs> um, but you're all singing the same songs as me. I know exactly what's in your refrigerator at home. I, you know, <laughs> um, it gave me a sense of community and mm-hmm. how, you know, we are everywhere um, and we're one, we're, we're different. We are, we are mm-hmm. different, but uh, it was that. And then as I get older, the, the Takuno Lam, the healing of the world, the, mm-hmm. Um, fighting for, you know, I'm gay. So I'm fighting for, you know, equal rights, just the social justice part of it. There's so much you can say, ugh, about, but there's so much more you can say, you know, that's something I can sign on to. And, and as I get older, different things become more, you know, significant to me about mm. the religion, about about our customs and our traditions. Mm. And and once you have kids, you know, you want to pass that on. This is how we do this holiday. And right. and remembering at the holidays, well, my grandmother did this. And you know, it's just a connection. It's it's mm. a connection to a larger, larger group of people. Oh yeah. You know, speaking of getting older with Judaism and uh, uh, the power of music. Do you know who Ben Sidron is by chance? Uh, Say that again, I'm sorry. uh, Do you know Ben Sidron by chance? Uh, Ben Sidron. He's a great musician. He's written, he's kind of like my hero mentor in this Jewish world, whatever, the Jewish music-ish world. And he, uh, we relate on a lot of things and he's 79 now and he had a similar thing. He had his bar mitzvah and then he went home and put on some Miles Davis records and he felt like that was his bar mitzvah. But he said he didn't really connect with things until he went to his son's bar mitzvah. And basically it wasn't the words that got him, but it was the melodies that they were singing at his son's bar mitzvah. It just made him feel like he got the chills. He felt like he was standing next to his grandpa who he hadn't seen right. since he was a kid. It's just so powerful right. how it changed. Right, that, yeah, that generation. I remember my older son getting bar mitzvah and we're following him carrying the Torah and I'm right behind him. And I was like sobbing. It was so emotional passing this on. And and you think about our history and that we're still doing it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're still here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty and incredible. those songs, those songs. You know, I went to Sweden a, a few years ago uh, for a Jewish arts thing. Mm. And on... Uh, I wanted to go to the synagogue and we got to the synagogue and um, there was a lot of security and we had to, you know, show identification and tell them why we wanted to come in. It was mm. very not safe. And there weren't a lot of, the synagogue was beautiful and there mm. weren't a lot of people there, but there were people there from all over the world. And it was the same melody mm. and it was this, it, they were the same prayers and you're just, like that these things have survived. Yeah. It's so weird because I, I go to B'nai Jeshurun, I'm a um, member there and it's a very, it's all music. And wow. 
they've changed some of the melodies. And it's so, you know, you don't want to be like, oh, but there are certain melodies that I'm like, mm, I don't really want to change that, even yeah. though, you know what I mean? It, oh, yeah. I get an argument all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, all, so many synagogues down here want to bring in young people and they think that changing the melody is going to do it. But to me, I right. feel like the melody is almost more important than the words in terms of right. connecting exactly. generations. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> I think you're right. I think it, it is that that melody, you know, like, they're like recipes, mm. you know? Yeah. It's, and it's funny, like exploring the background of them, you know, because when I started this job, we were called the Atlanta Jewish Music Festival. So I was, what is Jewish music? It's a fun conversation to have. But I found out that so many of these prayers are not Jewish melodies. They're really German drinking songs put to, right. you know, so me and my, I told my dad, we went to Yom Kippur the next year and he's, every song he could hear people, you know, banging in a, in a bar and he's, man, you ruined <laughs> services for me. Drinking <laughs> beer. Yeah. yeah drinking yeah, a yeah. keg. <laughs> but you know, you know like, that's really that's interesting because then you think about the Torah, mm -hmm. you know, and the way it's you know um, the melody's right there. It's it's notated there. Yeah, uh, for you, uh, and you learn all of these mini melodies. Yeah, it's fascinating because I love you know talking what is Jewish music with people, and a lot of times we get it's anything in a minor key and. There's a, a yeah. piece, a Beethoven piece that I love to play when I do these Jewish music concerts because it sounds like a prayer. And every, I say, that sounds Jewish. Everyone says, oh, that's definitely Jewish. It's not. It's what Beethoven. is it? Which piece is it? Um, I got it. It's from a, a, a piano sonata number eight. The uh, It's the second movement. Or no, 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 it's the third piano movement. Piano sonata number eight. Third movement. Yeah. Wait, I got to look it up. Oh, yeah. And I read it from a lead sheet, so I kind of overemphasize the the Number minor eight. Jewish part. You'll know uh, the second movement. It's the but that deep. I love I, that's the adagio part, which is so gorgeous. But yeah, mm. um, yeah. But like, what yeah, makes amazing? You... Oh yeah, oh I love it. Yeah, check out number three when you have a chance. It's it's okay. It's, it's fun. But you know what made you? I know you majored in music, like. What made you want to major in music or can you talk about you know well here's the thing i i've always been drawn to music and mm -hmm. um uh my father's first cousin was a musician and a music teacher i think i definitely get it from my father's side of the family my father played violin you know we had a piano um and my brother had lessons my sister had lessons they didn't really get into it mm. And I was like, can I have lessons? And so I started taking lessons and I loved it. Um, and then, you know, in school you could pick an instrument. My brother picked saxophone, my sister picked flute and I wanted to play the French horn, but they didn't have any French horn thing. So I had to play clarinet. Um, and my mother was always like, Benny Goodman, Betty Goodman, you know? Um, and my father really did love music and it, it was also, I don't know, there's something, I wasn't great at practicing. I was mm -hmm. never, you know, I could practice and practice. I didn't have that natural, oh, let me hear that. Okay, I'm going to play it now, <laughs> which I always wanted. Yeah. Um, but there, it changes. Like, if I listen, like, I loved conducting class in, in mm. college, you know, just listening. And I'm just 
fascinated by these no these noises, these the tonal. I mean, putting that all together, it's so incredible, and the skill and um. And yeah, I just and I would re and I remember, um, you know, like stupid parts of songs. Like I would remember, you know, you'd listen to a pop song, and I would remember some, you know, random, you know, melody going on. Especially like in Burt Bacharach, I always loved that he sort of had this counter melody going. Oh, yeah. uh, and that was, oh, I was, yeah. would, I would get so excited, like, no, listen to this part. <laughs> um, and so when I, when I was in college and I played in the, I played in high school or in the orchestra, I kept t piano lessons. Um, I played in the marching band. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I got to college, I was going to be a communications major. And I was like, the only thing I really want to learn about is music. Like I love music. I want to learn. And my father, of course, thought I was going to be a music teacher. My mother wanted to be a music teacher, 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 teacher. Um, and I, you know, I wasn't like the other kids. I wasn't in the f practice room for eight hours a day. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't only hanging around with music students. Um, and I was, uh, someone dared me to do stand up my sophomore year in December and that was it. Uh, mm. But I did go on to, I loved music history. I, I, it was one of the only things I have ADD really bad ADHD. And it was the only thing I could focus on. Mm. I, I could sit at the piano for a long time. I could sit and practice my clarinet for a long time. I could sit and listen to music. Like it was the one thing that held my attention mm. uh, for, for long periods of time. Was it, you know, like com comparing your relationship to music and comedy, like was one of them like an emotional, like a way to get your emotions or your feelings out or were they both? Or was one your love and one's your job? Like, I mean. You know, music is, so, that's such a good question, Joe, mm -hmm. because, you know, music to me, people, you know, I, 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 I I just did this show at the Comedy Cellar. It's called the Comedy Jam. And, and you do a few minutes and then you, you sing a song. Mm. And um, I I said I wanted to sing something, Carol King. I love mm. Carol King. Mm. So I was like, I'll do You've Got a Friend. So the guy is really young. Mm. And he's like, no one's going to know that song. I said, everyone knows You've Got a Friend. <laughs> Sorry about the, oh, they're coming to pick me up. <laughs> uh, everyone knows you've got a friend. No, they don't. And, and of course, everyone knows it, no matter how old you are. Yeah. And so he said, I don't know if we can get a piano player. You might have to do the James Taylor version. And I said, well, I'll accompany myself. And they were mm -hmm. like, you will. And it, it's just, I don't share that part of me. It's sort mm -hmm. of like, it is my emotional. It is, it is those, it's vulnerability. It's, it's emotions. You know, when I see musicians like yourself um, performing, especially jazz, because mm. it's it's such an extension of it's not jazz is so much like comedy mm. and it's it's an extension of yourself. It's where you go into the zone and you go where it takes you, you know, mm. um, and you see 
you see the contortions in musicians' faces. You see the their bodies react, and that it, you know, and and it's they are vulnerable, you mm-hmm. know, especially jazz musicians. Um, and so, and it's it's risky, and stand up mm-hmm. is risky, mm-hmm. you know. When you go off on a riff, you you know intellectually, all right, well, this is going to eventually end and we're all going to be together again. But while mm-hmm. you're on that riff, you don't know where you're going, right? Yeah. Is that, mm-hmm. you know oh, what totally. I mean? But like but I have you tricks. Know. If, I make, well, yeah. if I make a mistake, I can make the mistake again and people don't think it's a mistake. But I don't know if you, can you do the same thing with comedy? Like, <laughs> you know, you can't, it's hard to recover, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's so, it, yeah, you can't. You make a mistake, you know, because one syllable will screw up a joke. It's all timing. Like, people don't realize that the timing, mm. and you know, comedy and music, timing, um, you know, and, and even if you go, the way Jews talk mm. is funny. Mm. You know, like, you can, you can just laugh at the cadence, you know, mm. of... Um, <laughs> The way we we you know have a question, um, there's always some sort of up, you know, like, <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's really and it's so funny when you say the minor because it is you know you think about you think about there's no major <laughs> what major Jewish songs are there in a yeah. in a C major or a G major or an A major you know what mm-hmm. I mean. Well, it's really interesting um, just talking to, I talked to like over probably 300 people about what's the Jewish music conversation. And a lot of people would say it was the minor part, but a lot of the like more musical scholarly people actually said the Jewish part of music is the that it's a major minor shift. Like a song like Summertime is very Jewish right. to people because it starts minor and ends major. They thought that's the right. Jewish part. <laughs> right, right, right. It's a hard it is, thing I mean, it is a bit a bit of mixed emotions. And it depends, I think it depends on what kind of Jew you are, you know? Yeah. You, know, you have these, you, you read that you go on, you go on uh, social media and you read these stories, this, you know, especially Holocaust survivors, they survived the Holocaust, they created this, they, they believe in love, you know, the people who have been through the worst and yet see the best mm. in people. Yeah. I think that's the m- minor major shift, you know, because we, it, the Jews all start out minor because everyone hates, like we start out yeah. with a, you know what? People don't I'm, like us. Yeah, I met a guy who's doing his uh, uh, a thesis on this topic and he calls it from oi to joy. I think it's perfect. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's perfect. I yeah. love that. When you got into comedy, were you, I mean, I'm guessing you were just funny always, but were you a fan of like the history of comedy before that and things like that? You know, I... I was really funny, but yes, I, you know, I loved, I listened to Joan Rivers. She had this album when I was in high school, uh, What Makes a Semi-Legend Most. I mean, I had that memorized and I, it was women comics that really had an effect on me. Toadie Fields, Mm. Um, uh, Phyllis Diller, Mm. Moms Mabley, um, but there was something about Joan because 
my, you know, she was so brash and she was so unapologetic and fearless and talked about, and, and, you know, she talked about things that no one was talking about. Um, mm. And she was telling the truth. And not only did I find her, you know, brash and, and hilarious, so did my parents. And, you know, mm. my mother's like, she went to Barnard and she's very smart and, you know, um, and the fact that she was, you know, here's this guy from Nebraska hosting this late, couldn't be whiter or more guyisha, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. And he is so enamored with her and she is just cracking him up, you know? Mm -hmm. It was fascinating to me. Oh, mm. you can behave like that. You know, Tony Fields was so physical, you know, mm. and so self-deprecating. Um, you know, I loved Carol Burnett. I would watch Laughing. I loved sitcoms. Mm. I loved Rhoda, even, you know, Rhoda Morgenstern. Mm. It was, it, you know, and of course, Barbara Streisand, there's every Jewish girl loves Barbara <laughs> Streisand, but, you know, I was looking for representation. Um, because there, what there is this idea of the you know obnoxious Jewish woman, you know the mm -hmm. yenta, mm -hmm. um, and then there are those RBGs, you know mm -hmm. those people who change the world, yeah. you know. Um, so I feel like you know we're multi-dimensional, but it was when I was looking. I mean, I loved Richard Pryor. Um, mm. Unfortunately, Bill Cosby. Um, mm. But George Carlin, yeah, you know, like, but I really was drawn to the women. Um, mm. And the women who were not polite. And I loved Elaine Boozler. I thought she mm. was great. You know, it was, it was when I was in high school and I saw these sort of women coming up, there weren't a lot. And um, and then someone dared me to do stand up. I was like, oh, I mean, I loved music so much. You, you ask me, well, that was my natural path because it was, it, it was like something I loved so much. But when I did my first stand up set, it was really an epiphany. Mm. Um, and I think there are so many comics who are musicians because it is, you know, a pause, mm -hmm. a pause mm -hmm. can can screw up a joke. Um, you know, I said a syllable can screw up a joke. Uh, someone interrupts you in the middle of a setup, mm -hmm. uh, a tag. I mean, it's so, I mean, if you like, if you compared comedians notebooks, mm -hmm. in a way mm -hmm. it's sort of, here's the melody, you know, you put mm -hmm. a little notation mm -hmm. And then it's, it's, it is so, they are so connected. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a, do you know Clark Terry, the trumpet player? Are you familiar with his name? Should I act like I know all the people that you? Oh, oh I shouldn't even ask it like that. Well, no, it I don't, no, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. He's a great old uh, trumpet player who kind of mentored Quincy Jones. And he said, oh, okay. that, uh, he said the process to learning jazz is imitate, assimilate, innovate. Would, can you relate to that with comedy? I mean, it's just I finding, think, your, finding your I voice. don't think you can imitate. Mm -hmm. um, 
assimilate is really a great it i think there's a bit of that mm -hmm. um and integrate yes absolutely but mm -hmm. um you can't you know you got the thing about stand-up is you have to have you know you have to have your own voice mm -hmm. um but if i do look at it's funny if i if i were to go through the history of comedy and i'd say here's this comedian and i go back 50 years i could find a comedian who's mm. similar in their presentation or whatever but um assimilate i always i always think and that's such a jewish word <laughs> to assimilate you know yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> um and i think in comedy it's i always say um you don't want to get on stage and act like you're, you know, more cosmopolitan, more mm. intelligent, more anything. Uh, and I, and I, I always say, look at the local newscasters of the, the town you're going to. Mm. And that is what people wear. And that's how people look in that area. Yeah. I always say, if you want to know how to dress for a gig, look at the local newscasters so that you don't feel you know, because you want them, mm. you're, you know, comedy is disarming and you want them to like you. Um, and so when you get on stage, the first thing they see, you know, you, first thing that comes out of your mouth is so important mm. and mm. sort of how you present yourself. Oh yeah. Well, I guess like with, uh, like honing your craft, both musically and comedy with music, you can just practice, I guess with comedy, I mean, you just have to, I'm guessing you have to practice in front of people all the time. It won't, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, mm. The thing about stand up, especially, you know, stand up comedy in particular, mm. is, you know, it's like you, you have a melody or you have an idea. And then you, there's the, you can't get better at stand. The only way to get better at stand up is to be on stage. Mm. You know, you can get better at your instrument by staying at home and practicing, practicing, practicing. Mm -hmm. But it's the only art form where the audience informs you and tells you what's good and mm -hmm. what's not good. And it's like, you know, I say this a lot. You don't, in a, uh, a muralist, an artist doesn't paint, you know, a third of a mural and then invite an audience over to say, what do you think of the tree here? Huh? <laughs> or should I move the horse to the other? You know, it doesn't yeah. happen. Mm -hmm. And there's so many times where I'm sitting here at my desk and I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait to tell this. I, I have an idea. I can't wait to talk about it on stage. And then I get on stage and it's like, and I'm like, really? Are you kidding? Um, but it it is, it is, we need the audience. And also, Joe, this is mm. the other thing. Mm. The rhythm, once you get into your zone and you've got the audience and you're doing your act and everyone has different timing and a different pace, mm. once you're in that give and take, um, it is so rhythmic. Mm. Um, you don't always start the next joke. You, The audience tells you when it's time to start the next joke. Mm. When, you know... I I will start a new joke at the tail end of a laugh. Some people mm. will wait till they're all done laughing, make it a little uncomfortable. Mm. And you know, and that's the other thing with with the timing is the rhythm. And so when we were doing Zoom shows mm. uh over the pandemic, 
There was none of that. And I remember doing a show in Israel. Uh, I was here in New York mm -hmm. and then they were in Israel. Mm -hmm. And I remember they're like, oh, the show's at nine o'clock. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I realized that was Israel time. So that was great. It was in the afternoon. But um, I remember they, I had a gallery of people and you couldn't really, they, have, they were muted mm. because Jews on Zoom during a comedy show, unmuted, not good. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I, I remember thinking, how am I going to know when to start the next joke? I can't. Mm. And there was one woman who thought I was hilarious. And I saw her in the corner. And every time I told a joke, she would go like this at, at the punchline. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and when she got up, I knew it's time. She would go back, <laughs> forward, and up. And I go, okay, now it's time to, to say the <laughs> joke. And so you, you need that. And also, when you go to perform, mm -hmm. um, do you say to the other musicians, maybe if someone does a set before you, how's the room? Yeah. How, how are they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can. Yeah. yeah. And, and we do the same thing. We're like, how are they? How are, how, um, at the pace of your jokes. Mm. You know, uh, are they listening? Are are you getting their attention? Are you, you know, like in a theater, you, you know, they're already ready to listen. So you're, you know, in a theater situation, you want to keep their attention. In a, mm -hmm. in a comedy club, you want to get their attention, you know, because mm -hmm. um, there's too many distractions. But, mm -hmm. you know, it also, it depends on, on the room. And um, you're constantly editing up there, editing, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I like to walk on stage with the list of songs that I could choose right. from and see who the audience is before I pick it. It was really hard right. on Zoom because you didn't, I didn't really know who it was all the time at all. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Where's, I, I don't have my notebook here, but you know, that's what I have. I have these cards, like I'll mm. write out just like you do, you know, you write <laughs> out, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And once you're up there, you're like, oh, they didn't like that. So they're not mm. going to like that. So, you know, yeah. while you're talking, while you're performing, <laughs> you know, it's, um, and also just that idea of, you know, being in real time and mm -hmm. dealing with whatever's happening in the room. Mm -hmm. Did you ever have any, like, like I had a lot of gigs that some people would call wallpaper gigs where you're just in the background. Playing. Oh my God. You had a lot of and those. for comedy, it's the worst. I've done. Oh, I I did lunch rooms of colleges where they're just oh, wow. literally going to eat their meals, and there I am, like, "Hey, what's going on?" <laughs> and you know, and this was years and I mean, thirty years ago, whatever. But mm. you know, you would take any gig, anything to get mm -hmm. on stage. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I've done street fairs where people are just walking by. Mm. Um, you know. Outdoor events where people come and go. Um, mm. it, it's just, yeah, it, it, it's such a, you know, it's a list, you know, comedy, you have to really listen because mm. you need to hear every word. So right. it's really hard to do a wallpaper gig, yeah. but there are <laughs> wallpaper gigs. You know, mm. you stand over here and tell jokes and then there are going to be people over here doing it. It's like, no. Mm. But we're one, I, we're I, one above strippers comics. 
stand up. <laughs> I did a lot of those wallpaper gigs and it took a while to figure out, even though it makes sense, how to quiet people. You know, I thought if I play, they're all eating dinner. If I play louder, they got to get quiet, but that they actually get louder. <laughs> and then when I play quieter. Oh, but, and quiet. that's the same with stand up. If they're yeah. talking really loud, you grab the mic and you start talking like this. And mm. they will start listening mm. to what you're saying. <laughs> that's I, and it's I, so it's I think it's true with people too because I'll say something in public and my kids will be like mommy shut up they hear me I'm like no they didn't hear me because I was talking normally so they don't they don't think it's about them if I was talking mm. like that, you know <laughs> yeah I heard the, the best story I <laughs> I heard the greatest story about uh learning to quiet an audience uh the pianist George Shearing who was blind he was playing at uh, this club called the London House in Chicago back in like the 60s. And apparently the room was hushed except for the table in the front. And Shearing had like a pretty good sense of humor. I don't know if you know, he was asked one time if he had been blind all his life. And he said, not yet. But uh, at this... <laughs> <laughs> good. But at this show, he's playing and uh, the, the room is hushed except for the table right in, in the front. And the place is trying to listen. So they're shushing the table. And you, so you hear the music, but you hear this rising level of shh. You know, and right, finally, right, right, right. <laughs> finally Shearing, uh, uh, he's playing, but finally he stops and he picks up the mic and he says to the audience, he goes, I'm playing as quietly as I can. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. He, he did it with humor. I've seen people do it in a mean way and they they lose everyone because they're not rooting for it. Right, him. right. That, he, yeah. That's that's the thing about comedy. You can say mm. anything. You can mm. get your point across. Mm. And, you know, it's not sort of, I don't know, people don't feel abused or, you know, it's not antagonistic in a way, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, do you do you have a like a, a definition for Jewish comedy? Or like not a definition, but what you'd say is Jewish comedy? Um, you know, there definitely is Jewish comedy. First of all, Mm -hmm. Think about, I don't know if there's a specific definition, mm -hmm. but when you think of a Jewish comic, mm -hmm. um, when you think of a Jewish guy comic, you think of a Nebish, mm -hmm. you think of a Woody Allen, you think, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, and when you think of a female Jewish comic, you think of, hey, hey, you know, like a loud, obnoxious. <laughs> so... That is also the stereotype of the, you know, Jewish woman versus the Jewish guy. Mm. Um, and there's so, I mean, comedy is such a part, uh, I think it's uniquely American mm -hmm. um, stand up. I think it's very American because of our first amendment rights that are, you know, going down the toilet right now. Mm -hmm. I think it's a immigrant, um, It you know, you think of these people uh, coming here and having this unique view of the world mm -hmm. and using humor mm -hmm. to get people to like them. You know, that's why there's so many marginalized, um, people with marginalized, you know, backgrounds mm -hmm. uh, who, our comedians, we see the world, we see different things. The curse of the comedian, I think, mm. is that we mm -hmm. notice everything. And mm -hmm. it's sometimes I'm like, ugh, I wish I didn't notice that. But 
We really read people. We're, we're definitely social commentators. Um, but the Jews, think about it. Borscht Belt, um, sitcoms, Norman Lear, theater, Neil Simon. Um, you know, we, you know, you think about the producers. The producers is a perfect... Um, example of, you know, using humor as a weapon. Mm -hmm. um, and we didn't have a lot of weapons. And I think mm -hmm. Jews know how to use it as a weapon. It's mm -hmm. also a coping mechanism. It also makes, makes people like us. And I think the thing about Jewish humor is I think I've said this before to you that mm. you think of a bar or bat mitzvah, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, okay, here's your Torah portion. You're going to recite it. And then you're going to give a speech mm -hmm. about, um, you know, how this is unique to you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So here's a portion of the Torah that people have been arguing over for thousands of years. And we want you to have another take on it. And that's what comedy mm -hmm. is. It's like, mm -hmm. it's a surprise. It's like, oh, I never saw it that way. Mm -hmm. And and we are a thinking person's religion. We are an asking questions. It's not all one way, mm -hmm. you know? It's not like the Pope says, okay, this is how it's gonna go now. It's like, mm -hmm. we question and question and question. Mm -hmm. And then like the whole Torah is full of, you didn't know and he questioned it, uh, <laughs> you know? Um, and I think, I think that is what Jewish humor is, is that is really, you know, seeing aspects of things that, that you never really put married together, you know? Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's interesting. I was reading an interview with Mel Brooks recently. Have you seen any of this? Oh, Mel Brooks. I forgot yeah. to say Mel Brooks. Oh, well, <laughs> but it was, there was, someone was asking him basically, how do you feel being like the uh, penultimate Jewish comic in, or something like that? And he, right. I, I wrote the quote down. He says, Jewish comedy, uh, Yiddish comedy or Jewish comedy has to do with Jewish folklore, Shalom Aleichem, that kind of stuff. The mistakenly called Jewish comedy of the great comics was really New York. It was the streets of New York, the wise guy, the sharpness that New York gives you that you can't get anywhere else, but you can't get it on the streets of Brooklyn. Jewish comedy was softer and sweeter. New York comedy was tougher and more explosive. There's some cruelty that you find in New York humor that you wouldn't find in Yiddish humor. In New York, you make fun of somebody who walks funny. You never find that in Shalom Aleichem. You'd feel pity. There's no pity in New York. There's reality and a brushstroke of brutality in it. So he was saying he's really a New York. I mean, what? What's your takeaway from that? Do you like? You know, it? it's funny that he says that because you know the the most anti-Semitic thing you hear as a comic it when you're trying to get booked uh, without them saying they're Jewish and I hate Jews is mm. oh they're too New York they're too oh. New York. Mm. And that's the key to, that's the, um, what's it called? The safe word for anti-Semites, you know, when they say, right. oh, they're a New York comedian. Mm. So, yeah, I do think, I think, you know, Yiddish comedy, you look at the Marx Brothers, hilarious. Mm. I mean, they were, they were hilarious. And you look at their jokes. Um, 
or their bits and you see them done over and over there's a there's the there's a national comedy uh, museum mm. and they have this uh i think it's a permanent installation where you see a visual joke and where it originated and then it shows you how many more times it's been used in modern times and there's wow. the marx brothers it's amazing you know there's mm. one where they're um, the slipping on the banana peel that started mm. with them they, that he's, they're playing football and they're, of course, the guys are huge and they're like, and he's got the football. So he throws banana peels and all the big guys are falling and mm. he gets a touchdown, you know, mm. um, this idea of conquering this David and Goliath thing, you know, mm. um, yeah. that's so much of it, but mm. yes, there's Yiddish comedy. There's, um, but I think it did morph as we evolved and we could say more things. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's so many things I do for Jewish audiences. There's just an unspoken. Yeah, we got it. You know, yeah. um, mm -hmm. and that's comforting in a way, um, mm -hmm. to go, oh, you're my people. I know exactly how to make you laugh. Yeah, and then there's yeah. the rest of the world and you have mm. to be um who you are and also make them laugh but not laugh at you for you know or laugh for the wrong reason that's the problem mm. that's where it goes awry when they're laughing for the wrong reason mm. do you agree with uh lenny bruce that uh chocolate is jewish and fudge is goyish <laughs> do you know his his I, quote I'm about that no, I didn't. I, and I've studied oh. him. What, what, what? Tell me. Let me let me read you this quote. He says, uh, to me, if you live in New York or any other big city, you're Jewish. It doesn't matter even if you're Catholic. If you live in New York, you're Jewish. If you live in Butte, Montana, you're going to be goyish even if you're Jewish. Evaporated milk is goyish even if the Jews invented it. Chocolate is Jewish and fudge is goyish. Spam is goyish and rye bread is Jewish. Negroes are all Jews. Italians are all Jews. Irishmen who have rejected their religion are Jews. Mouths are very Jewish and bosoms. Baton, baton twirling is goyish. George Jessel and Danny Thomas are Christians because if you look very closely on their bodies, you'll find a boil somewhere. <laughs> I mean, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> it's all true i believe yeah. every word of that yeah <laughs> i love comparing lenny bruce to bob dylan because i feel like correct yeah. me if i'm wrong but like i feel like before bob dylan you know it was it was the uh um, the brill building era you know and everyone was writing songs yeah. for other people and then dylan came around and he kind of like you know you, you had to write your own songs you had to tell right, your truth right. even if it wasn't the truth would you say like right. lenny bruce was kind of the start of like you're speaking from your personal personal experience i think i don't know if he he's you know gene carroll who was a uh uh the first real female jewish comedian um hmm. who was a vaude I think she she was uh, in vaudeville and then she was funny she was funny in between the songs mm. and uh she wrote amazing jokes and I and I know that you know Alan King and all those guys um were like oh she's like a guy comic because she had all this great material but she talked about mm. herself mm. um I think so many women Jewish women would get on stage I'd say, yeah, and be like, listen, I know I should be, I should be at home. Uh, you know, they had to say something 
to say, I know my place, but here's my material. You know, like mm. Sophie Tucker, you think, you know, these women have been through so much shit that mm. they were like, you know what? I don't care anymore. You know, you, mm. you're not gonna, and not lady, like, not ladylike. You know, you look at these, wa there's waspy women are not, you know, like, ooh. I mean, there's nothing funny <laughs> about them. Um, but Lenny Bruce, I think was, was and the Smothers Brothers and George Carlin mm -hmm. um, and Dick Gregory. And there are so many who were more social commentators. And then what happened with Lenny was he was getting arrested for using curse words mm -hmm. that everyone used in their house. But um they really wanted him on the substance of his material, that he was talking about segregation and the Vietnam War and the government and and all that. And that's where, but they got him with the cursing. Mm. And, you know, uh, he at the end, he wasn't funny because they, he was reading all, like, can you believe this is happening to me? It wasn't funny anymore because mm -hmm. he was, and you think about him, and you think about Carlin, who also got arrested. And you think about these people who were really, and, and you know, and prior, mm. who really pushed the envelope, uh, and Joan, you mm -hmm. know? And you, you see that, now, you know, it's like, what would they be thinking now? What's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Mm. yeah they're and it heroic. hasn't changed that much, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're like heroic pioneers. I mean, really. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I was listening to uh, Mark Marin talk about the Jewish thing, and he thought the Jewish thing is really kind of what you were saying earlier about the rhythm, how people spoke. Yeah. But he also said he feels like the Jewish rhythm has basically become a now definable part of what is now American comedy. So it's hard to tell the difference between what's Jewish and American. Right, right. You know, it's... It's, well, uh, there's your assimilate. Because right, you know right. what? We're funny. We're funny. So you can't deny it. And then people, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It reminded me, have you uh, heard the, the Philip Roth quote about Irving Berlin? He said, uh, with Easter Parade, Berlin turned Easter into a holiday about fashion. And uh, then with White Christmas, he turned Christmas into a holiday about snow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. I don't know. It's, it's really interesting because, you know, with this festival, um, I'll talk to a lot of Jewish musicians and they'll say I'm Jewish, but I mean, my music has nothing to do with, you know, my, you know, but then I talk to a lot of comedians and it seems to be the opposite. It's almost like. A, oh, absolutely. What is that? I mean, what's the why? Do, I mean, do you see any. I don't know what the question is exactly, but why are yeah. why do you think Jewish musicians don't embrace it and Jewish comedians? It's like a it's almost a bragging I, thing. Right. I think it's uh, my being Jewish. First of all, I, you know, for so many years, I, I, you know, and I'm actually recording an album soon about um, it's all my mother jokes, jokes about my mother. Oh, and which were the funniest jokes I had. <laughs> I mean, she was hilarious. And there's this thing about the Jewish mother. Mm. Um, and we all had a Jewish Jewish mother um, that here and people would say is your mother upset and mm -hmm. i'm like my mother no there's this sort of no matter what you do they're gonna love you you mm -hmm. know they mm -hmm. love you um and you feel safe 
and and how many times are you in a you know you you are at a Jewish gathering and it's like everyone's shouting and 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 you always say you know and there's this mm. and it's very musical and um and and yet uh it, it's it's the way we communicate with each other you know mm-hmm. we don't hold stuff in i mean mm-hmm. we definitely have secrets for sure mm-hmm. um but we say what we think and yeah. and and great comics speak truth to power and i had a mother who spoke up mm-hmm. um I speak up. I'll say, what, what do you mean? You know, like uh, you challenge, pe- we challenge people. We, totally. we don't, you know, it's the, it's that Goyesha waspy, well, you know, I, I mean, mm. I, I well, it's see like the it scene in Annie Hall time. comparing the dinners, the right. two family dinners. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> you mm. know, we're not polite, but you know what? We've had, we've been kicked out of everywhere we've lived. What do you want from us? You know? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cause if we were docile and we did keep our mouth shut, we wouldn't even be here. Even going back as far back as Gershwin, you'll find everyone has a quote, oh. you know, my, my right. music is not Jewish. You know, maybe I was influenced emotionally by the Jewish thing, but this is America, you know, and I get that a lot. But you, you know, even think with- about the anti-Semitism at that time. Yeah. And now, mm-hmm. You know, I, every Christmas, I do, you know, a list of, I tweet every day, love this song, Mm. this Christmas Mm. song, Jew, Jew wrote it, Jew wrote it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I guess at that time, I mean, they were also coming from countries where they didn't belong, and they really wanted to belong. I mean, the story of Take Me Out to the Ball Game is like the greatest Jewish American, you know, the, you know, it was written by a guy working for Irving Berlin who had never been to a baseball Uh game, read a article about baseball in a Yiddish New York paper. And, you know, I don't care if I never get back. It's really about wanting to belong. I'm about baseball. It's really fascinating, you know. But yeah, I mean, they wanted to leave all that negativity and, uh, okay, here's a new world. This is not our only identity. And then Mm. once it gets lost, you're like, wait a minute. No, this is who we are. (laughs) So I, I feel like we go through phases. But I do think in my comedy, because I was brought up in such a, an environment of, you know, being so proud to be Jewish. I've mm. always talked about being Jewish. Mm-hmm. I get criticized by Jews. You know, mm. why do you have to do that? You're doing your mother. She's a stereotype. And I'm like, I'm talking about my Jewish mother. Uh, yeah. You're sitting in your Upper West Side apartment criticizing me, but I'm in <laughs> Alabama talking about my <laughs> Jewish mother. So shut up, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> It's, it's even interesting with our name of our festival. We were the Atlanta Jewish Music Festival and people didn't right. like the name. And they all said, if you had started as the the Atlanta Jewish Comedy Festival, that's a cool name. Atlanta Jewish Music Festival, that's a terrible name. There was just one right. word. It was fascinating. It's like, that. yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Mm. Yeah. Well, do, do you feel a part of like some great Jewish American tradition or Jewish tradition in American comedy? Like, when people teach a Absolutely. class on oh, you do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. I feel like um, uh, my whole life uh, in comedy, I was told you're too Jewish. Don't talk about being Jewish. It was, the, it was the number one. And then I came out of the closet and then I was like, don't talk about being gay. And I was mm. like, don't deny, this is who I am. You can't mm. be a comedian uh, without truly being who you are. Um, mm. And don't say these are things you can't talk about. This is no, 
Mm. So I do feel like, um, yes, I feel a part of, I am, it's something I say, I talk about all the time. I have mm. jokes about the Holocaust that people, you know, will get annoyed and I'll say, I talk about the Holocaust every night mm. on stage. Mm. Um, uh, you know, and they're not, Holocaust, you know, they're not horrible. You know, it's about my son wanting to get a tattoo. But, you know, the, the, there are, it, it's really interesting that until I said, you know, I had this manager who told me to dye my hair blonde and straighten it. And I was mm. like, okay. And, and then I, then it got to the point where, no, don't, I earned this. I earned mm -hmm. the right to be on the stage and I should be able to say what, talk about whatever I want. And, you know, thank God for the Jews because Jews love comedy. Mm -hmm. And so many of us make a really good living performing for Jews mm -hmm. for, at Jewish community centers, mm -hmm. uh, for Jewish organizations. Comedy mm -hmm. is so, you don't, I don't see people at, you know, um, I don't see, you know, churches, Catholic churches bringing comedians in to yeah. do their fundraiser, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. We mm -hmm. love comedy. It, it is so uniquely a big part of, of who we are. And mm -hmm. also, you know, as my mother would say, if we weren't laughing, we'd be crying. And mm -hmm. that's so true. Yeah. We, if mm -hmm. we sat here and thought about our plight, mm -hmm. we would sit here and cry. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because a lot of my mentors are uh, older, probably older than 85-year-old uh, black men who really relate to the Jewish thing with me. And they, they, you yeah. know, um, I have this one mentor, Les McCann, and he called me on Yom Kippur and he says, Joe, did you go to synagogue? And I said, yeah. And I said, have you ever been to a synagogue? He said, yeah, my favorite story ever happened at a synagogue. I said, what was it? He said, there was a club in LA back in the day called The Lighthouse owned by this Jewish guy and all the black musicians loved it. And when he died, they went to his funeral at the synagogue and the rabbis giving the eulogy going on and on about John Levine, John Levine. And then Les said, all of a sudden you hear from the back of the synagogue, one of the black musicians yell, it's Levine, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, <laughs> There, I don't know if you feel it with you. Uh, I mean, I really feel this. You know, I listen to Billie Holiday sing uh, my Yiddish. Oh, you Nina know? Simone. Nina Simone. Forget it. Mm. I can't. Oh, yeah. I am fascinated by her. I. Oh, uh, I love her. I, mm. I mean, yeah. Billie Holiday, you know. Yes. Uh, um, Nat King Cole. Mm. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I just yeah, I I I know Les McCann. You know, How do you know, I know Les McCann? You know, compared to what, probably. Trying to make it real compared to what? Uh what what do you mean? Oh, that's what well, that was his big hit. But he also discovered uh oh. like Lou Rawls and Roberta Flack and a bunch of people. He's yeah, I know people. him. I I don't know how I know him, but I know oh, him. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> he's but you know, it's interesting because like I'll talk to all these Jewish musicians who felt like growing up they were somehow connected to the black musicians that they love listening to. And I think I've, I think most music except for Jewish you know stuff and a lot of African American music, the goal is precision. But I feel like right. with this it's kind of telling you know to telling the truth. I mean I, I saw and telling a story, I think too. yeah. yeah. I saw an interview with I mean, Dylan the blues. yeah. 
Oh yeah. And someone said to Dylan, like, what do you say to people who say you have a bad voice? And he says, he remembered hanging out with Sam Cooke one time and someone said, Sam Cooke, God, you've got a great voice. And Sam Cooke said, thank you, but you shouldn't judge a voice by its quality. You need to judge a voice by how much it's convincing you that it's telling the truth. And I, Wow, I love that. I loved that, yeah. You know, when you take the comedian's intent, which mm. was just to make you laugh and tell you the stupid joke, mm -hmm. and, when you, and, and you can find something to be offended at, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, if you want to, if that's your personality. Mm. Or you can say, I'm here to laugh and that's a funny joke. And it doesn't, it doesn't diminish the horror of the Holocaust. You know, right. we're not, we're not saying it didn't happen. We're not saying it, you know, we're not revising it. Mm. We're, you know, yeah. I don't know. No, yeah. I mean, with the producers, I mean, poking fun at Hitler, what's, I mean, Right. Yeah. And Charlie <laughs> Chaplin had a had a right. Charlie Chaplin. Uh, oh had yeah. A film about the dictator. Too, yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. The dictator. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I sometimes I'll see you online, and it's a great feeling when you when you uh, bitch about something that I also like to bitch about. Um, I identify. It's it's validating in a way. And right. I, right. It yeah. really is. One thing yes. I don't think I've seen you talk about but it bothers me. I'm just curious if it bothers you at all. Is all these Jewish social media accounts that say like, you know, the 10 most Jewish things about bacon, you know, whatever. I saw one, it was, uh, let's guess, uh, could the characters on Parks and Recreation possibly be Jewish? And it's, it's, it's always, I don't know. Do you see this stuff online? It's, it's, it's sort of like this, there's this outreach of saying, see, you know, like, mm -hmm. It's for people who have, I think, don't, are young and don't care about being Jewish. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. I think it's a way, I mean, I think that's what it's there for. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know how you're going to change people's minds by saying, well, this is Jewish. So, that, so you're, you know, so you are Jewish, you know, or right. like, if you like that, then you're, you're a Jew. Yeah, it's yeah. like you can't force people. Mm -hmm. um, they have to have their own experiences. You know, like, my, you know, my son is going to play basketball in Israel this summer for the Maccabi games or Maccabee. Oh, cool. I don't know. Everyone says it differently. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I, I, you know, they had these tryouts, right? They had mm. these um, at Duke over the summer. Now my son grew up in Manhattan and mm. went to Hebrew school, whatever, and surrounded by Jews or Jewish mm. people. And one of his friends grew up on Long Island and then went to prep school with a lot of non-Jews. And um, they were at the, the tryouts at Duke for, and they're all Jewish athletes from all mm. over the country trying out to play in these games. And the guy who had grown up on Long Island and went to prep school, we were having dinner and he's like, it's so weird. Like everyone on the court gets my jokes. We all <laughs> laugh at the same thing. Mm -hmm. And um, and we just get each other and we get the sarcasm. <laughs> and it's like, they, I don't have to explain anything. And his father was like, see, I've been trying to tell you this. So, <laughs> you know, you can deny it and you can say, look at these people on Parks and Rec or have Jewish things. But until mm -hmm. you put someone in that, environment where they're they're the only jew mm. and they feel like oh wait what's different about me mm. um 
I mean, that's what I think, you know, this way that this kid was so used to being, you know, not a part of like, you know, just being like, or whatever. And then seeing, oh my God, I belong with these people. You know, right, it's. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, I feel like there's so much stuff that Jewish people can connect on. And I, I get frustrated when I see a lot of these sites that are talking about things that aren't really Jewish and trying right. to make There's it. other yeah. ways of connecting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. Well, I just had two more things. Um, okay. One is, I guess, you know, I think I, I, when I met a lot of my mentors, I really wanted to learn how to play like them. And the, me- the message that I got from uh, meeting them was, you're never going to play like me because we haven't lived the same life, but you've lived a cool right. life. So lean into that. And so I guess like the more I get, the deeper I get into music, the more I realize that everything I learned relating to music really helps you with figure yourself out. And so I was just right. curious, like, you know, is your goal, like, I mean, obviously you want to make people laugh, <laughs> but is, do you feel the same way about comedy? Like the more you, deeper you get, the more you learn about yourself. Is it like a self uh, exploration kind it's, of thing? You know, it's, it's funny because um, definitely your life informs your comedy mm-hmm. um, and your experiences. But yeah, it's it's. I think I'm so comfortable on stage because I've been doing this since I'm 19 years old. So I feel mm. really comfortable and free that often I will walk around with a premise and it does go deeper because I feel like I can go deeper because I've already conquered that please like me. Um, you know, I, you know, I really want to say more profound things. I really do. I I mean, in laughter, but I want to find new things, you know? Um, and you know, all of our experiences inform what we think is funny. Um, and so like, you know, I'd lived through the AIDS crisis and, mm-hmm. you know, with my friends who are my age and we say things about the AIDS crisis uh, or we reference it or we use terms that young kids today are appalled by. And it's like, mm-hmm. you can't say that, you know, the, this whole new thing of you can't say that and you can't say mm-hmm. that. No, I can. Mm-hmm. Like, I have lived through this thing and I can say that because my mm-hmm. intention and my experience is not you at 20 years old telling me what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I, I always, I think about Hillary Clinton and how there were so many people, young women who were like, you know what? There's gonna be a female president in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Why does it have to be her? You know, these 20 year olds, 19 year olds. Mm-hmm. I don't like mm-hmm. her, why does it have to be her? And you juxtapose that with the hundred-year-old woman being, you know, wheeled into the voting booth saying, I never thought I would live to see the day that I could vote for a woman. Mm -hmm. Now, these 19-year-olds are going to say to her, oh, you're crazy. You know, no, it's a whole different, you know, you earn the right to say things. You don't earn the right to tell people not to say things. Um, when you're 19, 20 years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, now, I mean, not to tie too much into this, but like after what happened at the Oscars, are you like worried about the future of what uh, uh, oh my God, heckling yes. could be? I mean, is that? You know, it's such a part of, you know, of stand up. You know, every yeah. journalist will ask you, oh, any heckling, you know, it's like a common 
part. Mm-hmm. There's no fourth wall. And yeah. the, and we don't get up there to be assaulted. You know, right. if you don't like a joke, don't laugh. Right. If you don't like, you know, it's you're a musician. Mm-hmm. I I talk about this in my book about a friend of mine who went to a concert. Um, I forgot what band it was, but they, she was so excited and she gets to the concert and it's a new album and it's all new songs. Mm. And she's like, uh, and does she never, does she say that 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 band should never play again in public because they wrote some songs that she didn't like? No. Right. But for a comedian, it's like you say one thing and that's it. You should be mm. can't. No, just don't laugh yeah. at the joke. Move on. Yeah. It's not about you. Mm-hmm. It's not about you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gosh, it's, it's frustrating. Yeah. It is. It's yeah. so frustrating. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. And well, that was a stupid joke. That was a, st- you know, it was a yeah. GI. You know, you heard what Chris said. He's like, whoa, over a GI Jane joke? That was what the <laughs> joke was for him. It was about a G.I. Jane, a movie, you know, a stupid joke, ref, a reference to a stupid movie and her shaving her head. Mm. And yeah. that's it. It wasn't about alopecia. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about, you know, you're dissing. My, and why does a woman need a guy to go defend her? You know, yeah. that's the other thing. Mm-hmm. It was Ugh, bizarre. The whole thing oh. makes me sick. Yeah. yeah. Well, this might be one of the weirdest questions you've ever gotten, but I have to ask. Um I met someone, I don't remember who it was. This was about 15 years ago. And this always stuck with me. And when I was starting out college, someone was doing a PhD paper who I met on the similarities and differences between female and male comedians. That's what she said her whole PhD was about. And this might be the weirdest question, honestly, but it's been stuck in my head. So I don't, I'm not saying I agree with her. I'm just curious what you think about. So I, I basically asked her, what's your main point in your PhD? What's your biggest finding? And she said that, Female comedians are more or less off stage how they are on stage, but not male comedians. She's male comedians are nothing like they are on stage. This is, I mean, this could be again the stupidest question ever, but I, I can't get out of my head. <laughs> that's what she got from her, that's a PhD thing. Apparently, I mean, I she's not my. I don't. I met her for five minutes, and I still couldn't stop thinking about it. So I don't know if it ever happened, but men are less like that the same. is so. Is that totally wrong in your opinion? I I just know. I've never even thought about that. Yeah. I think the difference between women comedians and male comedians is, well, women are way funnier. (laughs) Of course. And uh, that when a guy walks on stage, you know, they're already accepted. And uh, not objectified, and mm-hmm. you know the, the obstacles and and hurdles that we have to, the invisible ones that are there, mm-hmm. um, and the misogyny, and the fact that there's nothing ladylike about stand-up, and mm-hmm. the the fact that um, you know, you're in a powerful position when you are, uh on stage, controlling a room, eliciting the response from the audience, like you're Mm -hmm. in control. And Mm -hmm. we equate control and power in this country with masculinity, with males. Mm -hmm. So if that's what she got out of that, that is really sad. Um, Mm -hmm. 
It was, it's bizarre. It's, it's, it's a, that's what you get. They're, oh God. I just, I met this for, I had to ask. <laughs> well, then, then I'll close. What, with, what? Yes, go ahead. Oh, no, no. Well, um, I want to know what college the, that. It was, know, I think it was NYU actually. It was someone up oh in New York God. when I was in school, but. Wow. I mean, there was a lot of strange stuff, but. Yeah. The, the last thing was, uh, um, um, did you perform in front of your heroes? Like, was what was that? Ex- you know, I performed in front of a few of my heroes, and it was the first time was like the scariest thing in the world. And then you kind right, of learned right. how to do it. Did you do that? And was it a scary experience? Is something you had to learn how to approach? I think um, it is scary, um, and you want to do so well. But you know, it's the worst to perform in front of people mm. who really know you. No. You know, family members. Um, that's the worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, Joan would. I did two off Broadway shows. Joan came. Um, yes, I have performed. And you want to be. You just want to be great. Um, mm-hmm. But the most. I think the hardest is looking out in that audience and seeing a disapproving relative. Or, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Or someone who means a lot to you. But mm-hmm. uh, it is to make someone you really respect, to make them laugh. Mm-hmm. It's the greatest feeling. It's yeah. so great. Mm. Someone who has, who is, you know, has a discerning taste for comedy. Um, or someone who tells you, oh, I think you're, that to me is, I think you're funny or that's a great joke. I just, there's mm. nothing, nothing that compares. Oh, it's hard to beat. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, I mean, that's really all. I mean, that's a lot, but it's just, it's just yes. fun to talk with you're you. You're so cute. <laughs> Did you know Dick Gregory at all? I didn't, no. No, no. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I did a double bill with him one time. <laughs> Go away. Yeah. Can I tell you what happened? It was just like one of the greatest yeah. moments of my life. You know, I was familiar with his stuff, like his early stuff. And I knew about his activism career, but I truthfully, this was in 2015. I didn't know any of his recent stuff. So I was going, it was at the Kennedy Center. I was flying up and I'm like, I'm going to listen to his stuff, you know, his mo- recent stuff. And it was very, you know, honestly, anti-white. <laughs> and right. my trio is three white guys for this show. And the Kennedy Center people are like, you're going to give the mic to Dick Gregory, and then he's going to introduce you guys. And I'm like, he is going to shit all over us in front right. of his audience. I was so nervous. But he walks out, he takes the mic for me, he looks at me, and then he looks at the audience, and then he goes, see, integration works. <laughs> it was the greatest <laughs> moment. <laughs> it was so great. Yeah, but that's, you know, that's his experience as a black guy you know yeah i loved it yeah. can't deny that yeah yeah my buddy les uh, mccann he was really tight with red fox he was telling me about oh. a tour they did he said that yeah. they did a tour in detroit or a show in detroit and a bunch of nuns came over from uh, canada and there's like 300 nuns and red fox walks out and goes how are you motherfuckers doing and they all ah, walked out that's hilarious <laughs> yeah and- <laughs> He said they're walking out, and he goes, "Yeah." He said they're walking out, and he goes, "Oh, you think you were getting uh, Fred Sanford today? Fuck Fred Sanford! You get Red Fox tonight." (laughs) That's the best. I love that stuff. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's just fun to tell stories and share stories and talk with you. I appreciate this. (laughs) I mean, I know we talked about a lot. 
yeah i mean anything i missed or anything you want to like promote or right. oh i don't know if you, oh yeah there it is all right okay so we that spread the word and uh yeah and just come see me if i'm in a city near you nice we'll get you back to atlanta for sure i can't fun. wait yes we're gonna make it happen <laughs> all right good awesome but uh thanks for today this was so special and we'll, we'll see you oh thank too. you for having me of course oh, oh yeah i like that okay yes yes okay. <laughs> awesome well all hope right. you have a good weekend thank and stuff. you oh thank you, you. all righty we'll talk all to right. you later all right thanks. so long okay bye Thank you all so much for tuning into today's conversation with the great Judy Gold. Once again, my name is Joe Alterman, and I'm the executive director of Naranana. Naranana comes from the Jewish song of celebration, Haba Nagila, and means let's come together and sing in Hebrew. For more information about us, please visit NaranaArts.org. That's N-E-R-A-N-E. N-A-H-A-R-T-S dot org. And for more information about Judy Gold, visit judygold.com. Thanks again for tuning in. We look forward to sharing more great conversations with you soon.